We're going to look at Mark chapter 15, verses 42 through 47. We're going to see that Jesus was buried. Before we read the passage, I wanted to read uh, the original Apostles' Creed. You're all probably familiar with the Apostles' Creed. It has actually taken some, made, had some changes to it over the years, and I'm going to read you the earliest account of the Apostles' Creed that we have. It says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was born of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, crucified under Pontius Pilate and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead, and in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and eternal life. He was buried. That is an essential aspect of the Christian faith, even in the earliest of the creeds, included he died and he was buried. You see, when we bury people, it is final. It is over. All hope of seeing them in this life is gone. Not too long ago, we had Jim Gwast's funeral. He died of COVID. It was a heartbreaking loss. I did the funeral and the burial. And when they lowered him down on that cold day, watching the casket go down into the hole, the dirt sides, the finality of it all became evident. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died and he was buried. Let's read our passage. When it was already evening, because it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, who was himself looking forward to the kingdom of God, came and boldly went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had already died. When he found out from the centurion, he gave the corpse... Joseph. After he brought, bought some linen cloth, Joseph took him down and wrapped him in the linen. Then he laid him in a tomb cut out of the rock and rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, was watching where he was laid. Now in our passage, in the first section here, verses 42 and 43, I want you to notice the boldness of Joseph of Arimathea. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. That's the highest council of the Jews at, the, at that time in the first century. And it says that he was looking forward to the kingdom of God. Now, 
Most of the Jews of that time had an expectation of the coming Messiah and the end of the world, but the Bible uses this kind of language to point out a smaller group that anticipated God's ultimate plan with faith. We see other phrases like this in Luke 2, verse 25, as well as verse 28, and in Luke 23, verses 50 through 51. It says phrases like this. They were looking forward to Israel's consolation, or probably a better translation, Israel's comfort. Another one says they were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And in our passage, he was looking forward to the kingdom of God. But this idea of looking forward is showing this smaller group, the people Uh, that represented here is that they had faith, real faith, not just religion. At the very end of time, God restores the world to its original plan of peace, shalom, rest, where everything is right in the world. What they didn't understand at that time is that Messiah had to come twice, that he had to come first to die, to pay the penalty we were supposed to pay for our sins. When he was on the cross, he experienced the wrath of God in our place as our substitute. So he had to come first to die, and then he will come again a second time to restore everything. All other hope is false. We're getting close to the end, and you know how I know? The world is seeking to bring about its own utopia. The globalist agenda is going at full speed, but its hope is a false hope because it is a secular hope that doesn't depend on the fact that Jesus died and was buried. We'll get to the resurrection Sunday. Now Joseph, back to Joseph of Arimathea, he risked his life. I said he came boldly, our passage says he came boldly, but notice here he's risking his life because he's associating with Jesus who was crucified and it says on the title king of the Jews. He was crucified for insurrection. So associating with him could be very detrimental to Joseph's life, but he didn't care. But this was not an act of faith. This was an act of love. The faith doesn't come back until the resurrection. Everyone had completely lost hope at this point. So my question to you is, do you love Jesus? Are you willing to openly follow him, even in the darkest of times? Because it's going to get dark before it gets light. The second section of our passage, verses 44 through 46, I want you to notice that Jesus was dead. He was crucified. It says, Pilate was surprised 
that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had already died. When he found out from the centurion, he gave the corpse to Joseph. And after he brought, bought some linen cloth, Joseph took him down, wrapped him in the linen. Then he laid him in a tomb, cut out of the rock, and rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Jesus died. A soldier stabbed him in the side to make sure, the Gospel of John tells us. Pilate questioned the centurion in our passage here, whose whole job in life was to make sure the criminals were killed. The centurion certified his death. The corpse was given to Joseph. Potoma is the Greek word there. It means a dead body, a corpse. Jesus was dead. In the 19th century, uh, a group came up with a, an alternative explanation for all of this. It's called the swoon theory. It was the idea that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. It just looked like he died, and then when they put him in the cool of the tomb, he resuscitated, regained his strength after getting crucified, pushed that boulder out of the way, no problem. Very quietly, though, so as to not uh, awaken the sleeping guards. And then he came to the disciples and basically lied to them. And he said, I'm alive. Actually, he would have said, he just got crucified. This is ridiculous. He died. That's what we see. And he was buried. Joseph laid him in the tomb, wrapped him up in a linen cloth. There wasn't time to do all of the spice work that they normally did in the first century, which is why the women later would come after the Sabbath because they weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath. So they would come after the Sabbath looking to see to finish the job of, of the proper burial uh, with the spices. But they, Joseph laid him in the tomb. First century tombs of rich people are fascinating. Uh, there is uh, several examples of this in, in uh, Jerusalem, in Israel. In fact, in one particular place, I believe it's just outside of the University of Jerusalem, uh, we saw this. It was a tomb, rich person's tomb, but they had the top cut off of it so you could see what it was like inside. And basically you had... Uh, three benches that were kind of like in a, you know, one here, one here, and one here. And so what they would do is they would take the body, someone who died, and they would put the body on the bench. They would leave it there for a year. The body would decompose. By the end of the year, there would just be the bones left. They would measure the femur bone, which is the largest of the bones. Then they would build an ossuary box where they'd put the bones in. And then there was a place beyond the three benches, deeper into the cave, basically, that they would put the boxes. So you could have up to three or however many benches the different people had for their for their barrels. You could have at least three people die within the year in that family, but you could have generations being buried in those tombs. But this is a new tomb. Joseph allowed Jesus to be buried there. They expected to come back a year later, gather the bones. 
Finally, I want us to notice all hope was gone. Verse 47 concludes, it says, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joses, were watching where he was laid. The women saw him crucified, it said back in verse 40. They were from a distance. They saw him crucified. It says here in our passage, they saw where he was buried. And eventually, the women were the first to see him alive after the resurrection. But at this time, all hope was lost. The depth of despair and loss can only be imagined. When these same women came to the tomb after three days, they weren't expecting to see a risen Savior. They went to properly take care of the body with spices because of the haste of the burial. Death is a tragedy. It is not the way it's supposed to be. It brings sadness to all who care. The death of Jesus was an essential part of God's plan to save us from our sin. As I said, he died to pay the penalty we were supposed to pay for our sins. And he calls us and he says, if you will repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ and him alone for your salvation, you can be saved from all of your sin. You repent of your sin. That is, you see how bad it is. You wished you wouldn't have done it you want to stop. It's a matter of the will, but you can't. And so you cry out to God to save you. That's repentance. And you place your faith in Christ, in what he did on the cross, so that your sins could be forgiven. And when you do that, if it's really truly from your heart, the Bible says you're saved. You're born again. So the death of Christ was an essential part of God's plan for our salvation and his burial. But it is incomplete without the resurrection. It's Friday. The Sunday's coming. I want to conclude with a famous sermon by S.M. Lockridge, who died back in 2000. He preached this sermon it's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's asleep and Judas is betraying, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying, but they don't know that Sunday's a coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They ro robe him in scarlet. They crown him with thorns, but they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary, his blood dripping, his body stumbling and his spirit's burdened, but you see it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning and evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nail my Savior's hand to the cross. 
They nail my Savior's feet to the cross, and then they raise him up next to criminals. It's Friday, but let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king, and the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved, but they don't know it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The earth's trembles, the sky grows dark, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday, hope is lost, death is won, sin is conquered, and Satan's just laughing. It's Friday, Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard and a rock is rolled into its place, but it's Friday. It's only Friday, Sunday's coming.